Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Primal Potential Podcast, our second to last official episode, full-length episode of 2023, which is just hard to even wrap my brain around, and I know I'm not the only one who is feeling that way. I figured it would be a good idea to wrap up the year with a really heavy science episode. I have been deep, deep, deep in the cellular biology rabbit hole in the last couple of months, in part because I've had my interest peaked by a few ideas. And also in part, I shared with you guys that there was a couple months there where I thought I had vertigo. I didn't have vertigo. I was having weird dizziness. Um, so that was part of it that prompted me to go on this journey. It has resolved, and I think it's resolved in part due to some changes that I've made. I'm going to talk about those more specifically soon. So that was part of what led me deep into the biology and cellular health rabbit hole. And then I think the last thing was just where I'm at and my thoughts around fertility. So I've talked before about how I would really love to have another baby. Um, I had my first in 2020, my second in 2021, my third and fourth in 2022. And at the same time, I'm not sure that I want it enough to do something like IVF uh, or any kind of fertility treatment. And, but I really do want another baby if that's, you know, in God's plan for our family. And so that was the other factor that has had me looking more deeply, not just at philosophies around nutrition, but really going nitty gritty to the inner cellular realm and it's fascinating, you guys. I know some of you might hear that and go, oh, gosh, that sounds painfully dull and dreadful and boring. I don't think so. My hope is that I can share some of it with you today in a way that makes it very accessible, very clear, because, you know, I think if you were to read a textbook on mitochondrial membranes or the electron transport chain, not only would it be hard to get through from a technical standpoint, it would lack application. And so what I really want to do today is make it very accessible, make it make sense, and more importantly, tie back to well, what does this mean in terms of our day-to-day choices? What does this mean in terms of our disease risk and our hormones and our longevity and all of these different things? Here's where I want to start with this. There used to be this idea It was actually known as the rate of living theory, the rate of living theory that this is oversimplifying, but I'm okay with that, that essentially humans had our organs and our organelles were like parts that eventually wear out, parts of a machine. And so the harder the parts run, the faster the parts wear out. And this is where a lot of things like fasting originally became 
I shouldn't say originally because fasting certainly goes way, way, way back for religious purposes. But from the from a health standpoint, initially it was thought that if you can rest your organs and you don't put as much wear and tear on the machine, that it prolongs your life. The faster your metabolic rate or like the harder you run your body, the shorter your lifespan, essentially. Now, that rate of living theory has been disproven, but then there's this sort of gap of, all right, so then what is this theory of how we live and more importantly, how we live well and how we avoid chronic degenerative diseases? Enter what is called the bioenergetics view of health. And I know that sounds heavy and wordy and what does that even mean? What are we talking about? Like I said, my goal is to make a very complex topic very accessible and interesting and actionable. What we're referring to when we talk about this perspective on health is that the primary determinant of how healthy or unhealthy we are is energy production at the cellular level. Or if we were to simplify that a little bit or generalize that, mitochondrial function is the determinant. If your mitochondria function well, you are healthier on every single level, including all chronic disease. And if your mitochondria don't function well, you are less healthy on every single level and it impacts every part of you. What we know is that every chronic disease shows mitochondrial dysfunction. And we're going to talk about like, what does that even mean? How is it relevant? How do our choices impact mitochondrial function? And it's not a situation where we say, oh, well, it just so happens to be that way, but that's because it's a byproduct of this other thing. We know that this is actually the driver of degeneration and disease. On a small scale, metabolic changes, insulin resistance, diabetes, the starting point is mitochondrial dysfunction. Same thing with hormonal issues. Obviously, there are other pathways and other things that it impacts along the way, but it's this this cellular issue. We talk a lot about how like inflammation is the starting point. Well, as we'll talk about, inflammation is a byproduct of this, this dysfunction at the cellular level and primarily this instability in the mitochondria, which impairs its ability to generate energy. The mitochondria, and you've heard me say this before, and you probably heard it long, long, long ago in middle school when you took biology the powerhouse of the cell or the energy factory of the cell. When we talk about energy in this way, in terms of the mitochondria, we're not thinking of energy in the sense of absence of fatigue, right? That's not the energy that we're talking about. We're talking about the actual energy currency of your body, which is ATP or adenosine triphosphate, right? Your mitochondria generates that ATP, the currency exchange for everything that has to be done in your body. Whether we're talking about hormone production or we're talking about respiration or we're talking about creating new immune cells, 
metabolizing your food, allowing your muscles to function or your muscles to recover or both. All of that happens by way of the energy created in the form of ATP. All right. So when we think of energy, we're thinking about like, do we feel yippy skippy when we wake up ready to take on the day or are we dragging? But when we're talking about energy in the body, we're talking about something different. You know, if we want something out in the world, out in society, the currency that we exchange for that thing is money. In your body, the currency is ATP, energy, adenosine triphosphate. When we, to go back to mitochondrial dysfunction being causal in degenerative diseases, we're talking about diabetes, we're talking about fatty liver, we're talking about neurodegenerative diseases, cancer. In fact, Entire books have been written on the fact that cancer is actually a mitochondrial disease, a metabolic disease triggered by mitochondrial issues. And it's it's fascinating stuff. I've gone down that rabbit hole before. Um, heart disease, depression, all of these things result from mitochondrial dysfunction. Okay. When your mitochondria are not functioning optimally, you have inefficient production at best. There might be some cells altogether that that have no ability to create ATP, which is needed for the life of the cell and, and the function of everything in your body. But what it creates across the board at a minimum is inefficiency in this production of energy. Now, on the flip side... When we have healthy, robust mitochondria and no impairment of their ability to generate energy, we can not only restore health and regenerate health where it's been lost, we can prevent future chronic disease, and it's where we feel the most vibrant. So let's talk about what mitochondrial dysfunction is instead of just broadly throwing the term out there. I want to go a little bit deeper because as you understand it on a slightly deeper level, I think it's going to connect a lot of dots from a lifestyle standpoint and how the two are connected. First, let's just make sure we're all on the same page about like what the mitochondria is and what it does. So in humans, our cells have mitochondria and these mitochondria are where the energy is created and manufactured. It's where ATP is manufactured. And everything in our body relies on this energy manufacturing, whether we're talking about metabolism, hormone production, healing, immunity, fertility, everything in our body runs on this energy production at the cellular level. And there are a lot of different systems that contribute to this process of manufacturing ATP, right? If we're talking about creating energy from glucose, it's a process of glycolysis. If we're talking about energy from fat, we're talking about a process of beta oxidation. And there are a lot of different enzymes that are involved and make it possible for these processes to run from start to finish. These enzymes that are required for this manufacture of energy are super, super sensitive to our environment, the environment within our bodies, and specifically to things that we control in our lifestyle. 
So whether we're talking about excess stress or we're talking about toxins or we're talking about sugar or we're talking about trans fats or seed oils or other food additives, these lifestyle factors impact the enzymes. And when we have this onslaught of lifestyle factors that are less than ideal, these enzymes can't function as they need to. And it goes deeper. We're going to go deeper and look at other ways that that this is this is happening here. But one of the first ones is the fact that these enzymes required for energy production are very, very sensitive to lifestyle factors, lifestyle factors that most of us are inundating our bodies with. All right. Before we go into the mitochondrial mitochondria specifically, I just want to revisit this idea of energy so that it doesn't get swept under the rug. I, I already mentioned we kind of tend to oversimplify this idea of energy and think about it uh, in terms of like, oh, I ate plenty today. I gave my body plenty of fuel and, the, and, and, and that is energy. No. What you gave your body when you ate that burger is potential for energy, right? Your body then has to take all of those ingredients and run it through these systems that I just mentioned in order to manufacture the currency that is ATP, right? If you gave me your house, I can't do anything with that until I translate that into dollars, right? Into the currency that I can use to exchange for things, which is dollars. So, so you can give me something and, and I might be able to trade and do things like that. But, but what I need to operate in this society is the currency that this society uses, which is dollars. And, and so there are times when we have to translate things into dollars. The the paycheck that hits your bank account, until you translate that into like, okay, I I withdrew the cash or I have run a transaction on my credit card. It's just potential. And the same thing is true with food. You ate that burger, but you don't actually have energy in your body for the things your body needs to do until you run it through these processes. And if they are inefficient because of breakdown that we talked a little bit about, we're going to talk more about, you're in this situation that we've talked about before of being overfed but undernourished. And so many people in in this present day with fast food and toxins everywhere are in this situation where they're overfed and they're undernourished and they're thinking like, oh, I... I ate plenty today. Why am I dragging? Or no, I definitely don't have an energy problem. I mean, I'm I'm giving my body all the fuel that it needs, but you lack the ability to break down that food, that fuel that you gave your body and and allow your body to use it for anything. And so what happens when we're in this situation of being overfed and undernourished is that the fuel you eat can't be converted to energy or can't be efficiently converted to energy. So it has to be put away. Like, we can't really do much with this. We did all we could and the rest is stored as fat. This is why I go absolutely crazy when people act like something such as weight loss is a math equation. You just need to eat less. You just need to eat more. No, not always. And not even usually, I would say. my One of my former trainers tried to tell me that, oh, just eat less. It doesn't matter what you eat. It's a calorie thing. And, and in my head, I instantly just knew you might know a lot about squats and curls, but you don't know squat about health, 
right? You just don't. Because if you are experiencing mitochondrial dysfunction and you're in this place of being overfed and undernourished, you're essentially starving your body for energy, for fuel, just not energy in the way you often think about it, like absence of fatigue, but energy to drive all the necessary functions of your body and you're perpetuating chronic illness along the way. So we have to actually heal the body And by healing the body, the calories in, calories out thing largely resolves itself. Of course, there are cases of extreme excess and like binge eating where like, no, you also have to change the way you're eating. But a lot of times this um, propensity to store fat and this difficulty burning fat is a function of mitochondrial dysfunction. Jay Feldman um, gave a really great example. He did a podcast with Paul Saladino and he gave a great example of if a car has an engine problem and you're just trying to smash the gas harder to make the car go, I mean, you can sit there and smash the gas all day long, but what you need to do is fix the engine problem. And that is such a spot on way to think about what is happening when people are like, oh, just exercise more, just eat less, fix your engine. Because you're just allowing the problem to get worse and worse and worse while you smash the gas and you have your head in the sand and you're looking at it from this oversimplified perspective of, oh, just eat less, just move more. Our mitochondrial health, this energy production, is impacted by so many Things I already talked about how like the enzymes in this pathway are very sensitive to the foods that we eat and, and the toxins that we expose ourselves to. Sun exposure is a part of this. Stress is part of this. The other thing that's a huge factor here in the breakdown of our mitochondria and why they're not as efficient as we need them to be for so many people. I did an episode not long ago on seed oils. It was episode 1069. If you have not yet listened to 1069 or it's not top of mind for you, you're going to want to go back and re-listen to Primal Potential 1069. So the way that this ties to this issue of mitochondrial dysfunction, the fat in that we're talking about primarily here, we're talking about omega-6 fatty acids, right? This is in a category of polyunsaturated fats. Polyunsaturated fats, omega-6s, accumulate in the mitochondria. Largely, I mean, there's there's many reasons for it. Uh, one being there's there's two fatty membranes in the mitochondria, not to mention the the outer fatty membrane of the the cell itself. They accumulate there. Our body always needs fat because it's always looking to repair existing cells and create new cells. And fats are a required part of that process. So if you eat these fats, they accumulate there. And when they accumulate, wherever they accumulate, we see lipid peroxidation. That's just a fancy technical way of saying the fats go bad. They oxidize and they become rancid. And once they've oxidized, they are unstable. So now in your mitochondrial membranes, you have this unstable barrier. And it's 
essentially leaky, broken down, and prone to further oxidative stress, further breakdown. And because the membrane in the mitochondria is leaky, and it needs to essentially be tight, kind of like when we talk about the gut and how certain things can break down the gut lining, and when the gut lining is permeable, we're in big trouble because we're essentially allowing things in that should stay out. It's a similar situation, but a little bit different. So there's a very specific gradient that has to be maintained in order for ATP to be produced in the cell. And when the membrane is leaky because these these polyunsaturated fats, these omega-6 fats have accumulated there, because it's now leaky, it can't maintain this gradient or it has to work a lot harder to constantly be restoring and restoring and restoring this gradient in order to manufacture ATP, you have really impaired, inefficient ATP production. All right? This is a problem. When our body cannot generate enough energy from the fuel that we gave it, right, because it's using the carbs and the fats that we eat to generate energy, and even the proteins to some extent, because you can you can break down protein, use sugar, and go through these pathways. So when we eat food, we are basically giving our body the substrates that it needs to turn that into a process of manufacturing ATP. But what happens is it's not doing that efficiently. So then there's all this leftover from what we ate and our body's like, I mean, we did the best we could. And it can't just hang out there and be like, all right, I'll just I'm here when you're ready, especially because we're just eating again and eating again and eating again. And so that that food, because it can't be used efficiently to manufacture energy, just gets stored as fat. And we're, like I said earlier, we're overfed but undernourished and energetically our body doesn't have what it needs in order to thrive. And so it doesn't have what it needs in order to make new cells, in order to fuel the immune system and have the immune system able to mount a meaningful defense against small things that come up before they become big things. It's a really big problem. Now, this is what I found really, really fascinating. Because when we talk about omega-6s being a problem, people get really uncomfortable because they're like, okay, well, omega-6s, I mean, that's like nuts and seeds and that sort of thing. Why? Why would we have them and why would they be edible and why would they not kill us if they're so dangerous? Did they ever serve a purpose? And as he explained it, and I found this to be fascinating, he was like, they absolutely do serve a purpose. When would there be a situation where everything in your body needs to downshift and you need to disproportionately store fat and have disproportionately less energy? Hibernation or dormancy. They serve a purpose in animals and in plants that go through periods of needing extra fat, needing everything to downshift. And he also pointed out, which I thought was really interesting, in places where hibernation of periods of dormancy like wouldn't be needed because there's not a winter, tropical climates, the nuts and seeds there are way higher in saturated fat and way lower in unsaturated fat. Think like coconut, macadamia. They're just different in their fat profile because 
the life there doesn't have a winter season. And we've created the situation in modern humanity where many of us are like putting ourselves into a, a hibernation period for way too long and we're not coming out of it. And then so we're suffering from all of these chronic diseases that are at record highs. When you have this dysfunction at the mitochondrial level and you can't make ATP efficiently, you can't run your brain efficiently or your hormones or your metabolism or your respiration or your ability to recover or your immune system or anything. Now, here's where I find a ton of hope. This fascinates me and inspires me. Our cells are always regenerating, right? I mean, Certain cells are faster than others. You probably have heard how fast the mouth can regenerate new cells. You could have like a cut on the side of your cheek that seems significant and it's and it's totally healed up inside of like 12 hours. It's just wild, right? Different parts of the body regenerate cells at different rates. But stomach cells, you have new stomach cells every single week. You have new skin cells every single month. You have new red blood cells every single quarter. It's from a cell turnover standpoint, you have an entire new liver every two years because of how the cells turn over. An entire new body every seven years, a new skeletal system every decade. It's pretty impressive. And the reason that inspires me so much is because I like to think about things this way. I kind of gamify it with myself. All the cells that are regenerated today can be healthier than the cells I had yesterday. So like day by day, hour by hour, I can be rebuilding a healthy body if I'm making healthy choices. And those healthy choices are not just nutritional choices, right? They're choices about stress management. They're choices about sleep. They're choices about gut health. They're choices about toxin exposure. They're choices about supplementation and, of course, nutrition, right? And I I think... 90 days from now, 100 days from now, half a year from now, I can be a different human being with a different immune system, with a different hormonal profile. I think that is amazing. Absolutely amazing. So what do we do with this? What kind of changes do we make? I mean, the big one, please listen to 1069 if you have not listened to episode 1069 about seed oils. I think that that is a, a big rock first step for sure because they're they're going to accumulate in the mitochondria. We know that. So the easiest one is don't buy them and don't cook with them, Right. Don't worry about first all of those sneaky places where they show up. Just don't buy the canola oil, the safflower oil. Like, don't buy that stuff. Use butter. And in 1069, we talk about swaps. So I won't, you know, waste a lot of time going into that here. But don't don't buy them. Then watch the ingredients and the things that you buy that have ingredient lists, right? So we're talking about salad dressings. So one of the things about... um unsaturated fats is that they're liquid at room temperature, whereas saturated fats, which are more stable, are not going to cause this breakdown and leaky situation in the mitochondria. Uh, Saturated fats are, are solid at room temperature. So when we think about things like salad dressings, they often use these um, less stable unsaturated fats. So, you know, 
either make your own or find other ways to dress your salads. Like one of the things that I have done for a while now, but I'll be even more religious about it because I certainly probably have salad dressing in my refrigerator for when we've like hosted people. Um, one of the things that I'll do with salads is I'll get that creamy element from something other than salad dressing. So for example, it could be like an egg. And instead of doing a hard boiled egg, I'll do like an over easy egg. And then the runny yolk can function as that moisture. And so maybe the combination of um, a little bit of fruit in my salad and that runny egg yolk and maybe a softer cheese like a goat cheese adds enough moisture for me personally. So that's just a swap to think about. But processed foods. It's been fascinating as I look at like snack foods for my kids because they're just they always want something. Almost everything has seed oils or unsaturated fats in them. And so I'm just having to make more things or uh, do yogurt or string cheese or just not the crackers, not the cereals, not the shelf stable things. Uh, those tend to I almost always I can I can think of there's a brand of chips, Jackson's Honest. I don't know about all of them, but all of their chips, but I know that their sweet potato chips don't have any seed oils in them. So if I'm looking for like a portable snack that doesn't need to be refrigerated for my kids or if I want to do something like I'll do like a sweet potato nacho or something, uh, either make your own or that's a brand that I know, uh, at least in the sweet potato option, doesn't have seed oils. Most other crackers, chips, that sort of stuff does. Those are a couple good starting points. We talk about some others in episode 1069. But really think about the toxins in the products that you use for laundry, for dishwashing. I need to do an episode about this. I think I mentioned it, but it's worth mentioning here. When I was trying to figure out what was going on with my dizziness, I was just grasping at straws. I was desperate to just find something that could be causing it uh, because everything seemed to be checking out. And I had one of those fancy espresso machines um, that's like all metal except on the inside. The parts that like run the water through the inside of the machine from the tank are plastic. And I was like, you know, even if I run a clean cycle, not only can I not see how clean the parts really are, but more than that, the plastics when hot water runs through, the plastics break down over time. And so I got rid of that machine, even though I loved it and it made amazing espresso every morning. And I got a Chemex. Um, you can't even really call it a coffee pot. It's basically for pour over. So it's entirely glass. There's no plastic anything. And then I have unbleached paper filters that I put in the top. So I grind my beans every morning. I put it in the paper filter and then I run hot water from the kettle uh, in, in with a gooseneck kettle uh, and do pour over. And I really think that the the hot plastic thing is plastics in general, super, super toxic and a big part of the problem here. Uh, but when they're heated, it's even worse. So some common culprits there, in addition to like anything that you heat that has plastic parts, reheating food and Tupperware, don't do it ever. Put it on a plate or 
heated up on the stove, but like no plastics in the microwave. Uh, another common culprit, and I, I was getting on my father-in-law about this the other day. If you go to a Starbucks or a Dunkin', I'm not picking on them, but any place there's a little coffee roastery near me uh, and you get a cup from them and it looks like a paper cup. But if it was truly a paper cup, it would leak, right? Like y- your coffee would seep out after a few minutes. They're lined and they're lined with a plastic product and then you're putting this scalding hot beverage in it and the chemicals that leak from that liner into your cup. I mean, the the, the hundreds of thousands of particles in, in 15, 20 minutes blow your mind. Uh, so if you're going to do something like that, bring your own glassware, your own ceramic mug, your own stainless steel, something or other. But those are going to be some big culprits. And, you know, make swaps over time. It took me a long time to find things like skincare that I not only could tolerate, but I really loved and thought was good for my skin that wasn't full of toxins. Um, Be on that journey. Be on that journey because your chronic health really depends on it. And sometimes I've even thought of these things as, as little rocks. But then when you understand that they become incorporated into the membranes of your cell, and we know that this cellular dysfunction is what's driving disease states and metabolic states of dysfunction, you just start to take it a whole lot more seriously. We're going to talk a lot more about this in the new year, but I just couldn't wait to to put this out there with you. Um, again, I wanted to mention that the... The analogy that I thought was really helpful. Who did it come from? I had the name written down here. Let me find it because I don't want to. Jay Feldman. Jay Feldman um, offered up that analogy about the car engine and putting, you know, smashing the gas. I think that he does a really good job of explaining these topics. Sometimes he can be a little technical, um, but I'll always do my part to break it down and, and make it interesting and make it actionable. I'll see you guys tomorrow, but I hope that you really enjoyed this episode. And let me know. Let me know if I didn't break it down further enough, if there was something I said that was super confusing. Um, Give me feedback because I love to talk about this stuff. I think it is fascinating and I want to talk more about it and I want to get into further levels and layers of what we can do to keep ourselves healthy, to keep our bodies healthy and our metabolisms healthy and not just go down this route of thinking that it's all about calories because it's just so misguided and frustrating. But give me feedback on this because I know it was a technical episode and I would love to hear your thoughts. Jay Feldman, amazing resource. Also, um, Paul Saladino, they had a really fantastic conversation on this podcast. It was long and at times did get a lot more technical than I was here. But if you want to nerd out on something, I think they had a great conversation. So have an amazing day. If you are celebrating Christmas, Merry Christmas. And I will talk to you guys very soon.